Well, hello, listeners, and welcome to the content a Spooky House. It's Terror House, Josh. Come on. <laughs> oh, the content Terror House, of course. Welcome to the content Terror House. I'm Josh Evans. And I'm Brett Chisholm. And I'm Nick Underwood. And on today's special Halloween episode, we are creeping into the content that we find most frightening. Will this content make you shriek? Will this content infect your mind like a disease? Will this content fill your heart with dread every time you hear the name Megan or even the sound mmm? If you're ready to fill your ear holes with some spooky stuff, stay tuned. If you dare. <laughs> Movies, shows, and video games. Podcast books and their acclaims. Let their favorite content become yours. It's the Content Clearing House. Content Clearing House. And it starts right now. Nick. Brett. Josh. How are we? <laughs> <laughs> We're good, man. Yeah, doing well. Awesome. What have you guys been up to this week? It's crazy to see everyone here on the stream. This is like, this is probably the the greatest conglomeration of certified <laughs> contentologists the world has ever seen. The, All three of them. The world's three best contentologists are right here on, the this, class. on this Zoom call. I see Josh, Brett, and Zoom user. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Very anonymous yes. of you. Um, I just want to say, uh, Flip Six Three Hole, thank you for holding down the fort <laughs> while I've been busy with uh, training at work. Uh, I absolutely enjoyed the episodes that I was absent for. Um, there has been a serious lack of, of graboids and ass blasters in my life lately. So incredible job <laughs> to both of you guys. I really enjoyed those episodes. Hey, I, I appreciate that. I, it was uh, It was terrifying, and I'm still not convinced that. I did a great job, but you know, to hear it from you, that that's that's awesome. But I will admit, I am super excited to have Brett and Josh return to their original awesomeness. You just want to go back to just straight <laughs> listener status, like Brett has been this week. He said this is the first time he ever just experienced the show as a listener. That you're ready to get back to that after your uh, your foray into actually doing something with your degree <laughs> yes that is 100 percent accurate i would love to not have to work to be involved with enjoying a podcast <laughs> well now you will be able to evangelize the truth about how hard it is how hard we work here at this i mean it's basically like a sweatshop it's no joke at the content clearing house yeah no yeah, joke it's a lot uh, so Brett, do you want to, what have you been doing all this time? Josh, yes. Josh, look at me. I yeah. am the captain now. <laughs> oh, actually. Uh, so I'm not the captain yet. Um, mm. but uh, actually today, so I'm upgrading to captain. That's what I've been busy with. I've been focusing on studying. Um, <clears throat> and today was my first day flying in the left seat. It was a busy day. Uh, we did four legs and, uh, but even though I'm acting as PIC, um, in terms of, uh, you know, I'm, my my Czech airman is actually still the pilot in command, but he's pretending to be a first officer. So I'm in the left seat. I'm doing all the paperwork. I'm taxiing. I'm making all the command decisions. 
Um, so I got 25 hours of that that I need to do. It's called OE, which is short for operations experience or operating experience. And then I have a line check and then I have an FAA observation and then I will be a captain of the old 7-3. So, wow. but I appreciate the, yeah. the content hiatus. I really needed to focus up and, uh, and do a good job. That's awesome. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah, every time uh, you guys can just rest assured that if Brett takes a break from this show, he's probably going and doing something awesome with his job. <laughs> that he's, he's like continuously getting better and better at it. So yeah, uh, it's really awesome to see you like basically climb your way back to the top after everything that's happened. And uh, super proud of you, buddy. It, it's a it's crazy how quickly things have happened. I was reminiscing that. Uh, the the day that I took my upgrade captain upgrade check ride was three years to the day when I was heading into rehab. So um, and, you know, in terms of getting back flying, I mean, that those the, that first like two years was basically getting my medical back. As soon as I had my license, it was like, you know, um, I don't want to say balls to the wall, but I can't think of another phrase. Um, you have to wear pants at your job, though, right? I do wear pants. Oh, okay. I do. Sorry to disappoint you. So it's figuratively yeah. only the balls <laughs> were to the wall. I, I I want to look up the etymology on that. I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if it was like some you fighter pilot lingo. It's probably like back in the Middle Ages. It was like a like a standardized form of torture where they were like, nail your balls to a wall or something it was like a, <laughs> like right through the middle they split them split the sack right down the middle it's almost certainly where that came from and then like people started referring to that as like oh you were so brave or something you know and then here we are today yeah brett <laughs> that makes sense the wall in the captain's chair well yeah i i mean i got hired with this company in january and uh you know it wasn't that long ago and it it seems a little quick for an upgrade with uh, jobs I've had in the past, I you know it took uh, a little bit longer for me to upgrade to captain, but I do have Boeing experience, and so it you know the this plane has come really naturally to me, um, and so for that I'm grateful, and it's been a lot of fun. But it's good to be back on the show. I, that is, I give the the Brett storyline three thumbs up. Wow, the highest <laughs> praise we give here, man. <laughs> This guy's really done his homework, Brett. We finally broke the scale. I thought two and a half was the old. You know, we could ten. give a five thumbs up when we're oh. all here. Inflation is really getting out of control, guys. <laughs> it really is. Well, that's uh, really cool, Brett. Congrats, man. And stoked to have you back here, too. Yeah. So what about you, Nick? Are you, uh, you got anything cool going on this week? Yeah. I, try, I was trying to remember all we've done. It's been a bit of a whirlwind. We uh, There's probably one the main thing we should talk about is uh, so we're, we're heading back across the country now on a, a quick four day jaunt from golden Colorado to Atlanta, Georgia. But last night we stayed at a, or an abandoned uh, ICBM missile silo in the middle of Kansas, oh, kind of right off I 70. Uh, we used, I think we used a uh, harvest hose for that one. Um, and this guy who I think he described himself as a, uh, he calls all these things like missile silos and other abandoned DOE kind of installations. He had a name for it, but whatever whatever that was, he he used to sell them or broker them or something. And then he came across this piece of property, and uh, it's 24 acres, 
and it's a, a old silo from the 60s uh, that he purchased and he has these big dreams some pretty elaborate dreams actually what he wants to do with the entire property in the silo but right now he's just letting people come camp on, camp on the site um, and he offers a tour for $25 uh, per head and he takes like a steal it, it, yeah no it's totally worth it so the silo has like two underground components there's like a uh, sort of like the living area and the command center it's, it's just underground but still under a, a heavy amount of concrete and then the silo itself is, I think he said about a hundred and, I don't know, 170 feet or something like that deep. And what they would do, I didn't realize this. I thought they launched from the silos, like from within, but they would open the silo doors on the top and move the Atlas rocket up and then launch from there. So really the whole oh. silo is just a protection thing. Um, that makes so much more sense than firing it out of a hole. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I would I imagine the heat and everything. Pretty and, dangerous either way. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so they had so many features. He showed us all, a lot of detail about it. He had, he had a lot of knowledge. Um, showed us all the features they have for the facility to survive uh, a nuclear blast or, or, you know, a nearby one, maybe not right on directly on top of them, but something nearby. Um, one of the interesting things was, uh, so they have an escape hatch um, in case something happened and like the main doors are blown in or whatever. Um, but the secondary hatch, what they would do is they had a tunnel that went up probably through, I don't know, uh, 15, 20 feet of earth, but they would fill the entire hatch with about two tons of sand. And then there was a, a lower hatch. And when they wanted to escape, they would basically open the lower hatch and let that sand just drop out. Um, and they used that sand as like a protection layer um, for the shockwave and for everything. And they also were worried, though, if it was close enough, that sand would turn into glass. So they actually had uh, hammers and chisels to chisel their way out of that uh, escape hatch. But it was really neat. He took us down. Uh, he showed us there was like four levels of blast doors to get into it from the, the main entrance. Um, pretty heavy mold smell. Uh, the bottom of it had probably, uh, I think he said maybe 60 feet of water had built up into it. A couple million gallons of water. Um, and that was actually intentional, apparently. What they would do when... So this, the facility was active until 65. I think they built it in 61. So it wasn't around, wasn't active too long. But when the, I guess we had to set up the treaty with uh, Russia to prove to them that it was no longer active, they would open the blast doors or the whatever you want to call it on top and fill it with water so their satellites could see the reflection of the water to let them know that this thing's not in operation anymore. That was pretty neat. Whoa. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, he had a lot Man, of. Little, that sounds like an amazing spot. Yeah, it was, it was really awesome. Uh, it was free for us, you know, except for the tour. Uh, he set up a nice little bonfire right on the top of the silo. Hung out with him, had a couple of drinks, talked shop, went through all of his wild ideas of what he wants to do out there. Um, so I suggest anybody going through Kansas on I seventy, yeah, I seventy near Wilson, Kansas, uh, stop in and check this guy's stuff out. He's a very interesting, dude. A lot of cool ideas and a really neat kind of piece of history. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds like the coolest camp spot I can possibly imagine. Man, you guys live such amazing <laughs> lives. <laughs> so, Josh. Well, I, uh, th this uh, yesterday How, actually. How's suburbia? <laughs> it's pretty good, man. Just uh, mowing the yard, all all the good things, fixing the trim in the house. But yesterday we uh, we went scuba diving in the Denver Aquarium, which was pretty incredible. 
That's we awesome. had done it once before about a decade ago and uh, it's it's gotten way harder to set up over the years so when i tried to this is actually the second time we've tried to do this uh recently we got canceled once at the beginning of covid and then after covid it was super hard to schedule but they, they probably really don't cool. we kind of they probably don't want their fish getting covid right exactly yeah you know how salt water is a a transmitter but we uh they did like a mini little patty course and they showed us all about the gear, which we'd both been scuba diving before. So we kind of knew a little bit of it, but then we did, it was about a, maybe a 30 minute dive in the aquarium. And we went down, sat on the bottom and there were just hundreds of fish and eels and uh, manta rays. Like we see the manta rays swimming around with their big, like predator mouths open, sucking up plankton. But then once we had done all of our, our basic stuff, he let us just go anywhere. And there was like a, uh, it was like a, an archway in the coral that we were diving down on one side and then swimming back under it upside down. It was really cool. And, you know, all these people on the outside, little kids waving at us. <laughs> that was a really fun experience. So anybody is in the Denver area, that's something cool to look up. It's just a little bit of a pain to, to get it all on the books. Did you run into any mermaids or mermen? Mermen. You know what? They do the mermaid show in that same tank. I took Isla to it once a long time ago and, and she was, when she came out, she was like, there's a job where you can be a mermaid. <laughs> so I already implanted that idea in her that maybe one day she can work in the mermaid tank. So I, I briefly knew one of the mermaids that uh, worked for the Denver Aquarium. I actually met her through a good friend of mine who's a pilot uh, for Alaska Airlines. Up, He lives up in Alaska, but we went to college together and one of his friends worked the show and i mean she looked like a mermaid in real life she had long red hair you know and classic ariel yeah yeah <laughs> i've actually uh pretty cool you know a celebrity <laughs> <laughs> i uh i've never seen the mermaid show at uh, like the denver aquarium there's a big one in atlanta where i'm from um however when i was, I was in australia as a study abroad student uh 20 something years ago and we went to one where um we'll just say you got to throw money at the mermaids. Oh, the tails come off. <laughs> uh, yeah, it depends. Uh, you know how many of these plastic <laughs> coins you traded your cash for, you threw towards them. But yeah, it was a, it's a whole different, whole different story for probably a whole different podcast. This yes, sounds like a like a shotgun Willie story to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> Did, you're you're thinking the right they have direction. Have a submerged pole. <laughs> yeah, uh, All right. they might have. They don't. Well, al- they don't allow you to submerge the pole. No, nah. That, <laughs> no. that goes against code. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> sounds like we all had great weeks. So uh, <laughs> nice work, everybody. All right, Brett. Let's get into this thing, man. Yeah. Well, Here you got. You prepared <clears throat> something for us. Excuse me. I did. <clears throat> got to clear my throat for this. Um, well, today I thought it'd be really fun. If we turn the content clearing house into the content terror house. Um, So we are each picking a few. Um, I believe Josh and I have three. Uh, Nick, I believe might have two. Um, We picked a couple of pieces of content that we think are the most frightening, the most terrifying, the most stupefyingly scary pieces of content to celebrate this spooky season. It's our first Halloween. It's our first (laughs) Halloween special, buddy. I'm so excited. 
Uh, so to get started, I wanted to uh, bring to the off top, what is fear? It's such a simple question, right? And uh, just like anybody else trying to find the answers to simple questions, I typed it into Google and I started down the That's rabbit the hole. That is the move. Um, well, you know, I think the thing is, we're all pretty clear with what fear feels like. We've all felt it. Um, the official definition of fear definitely ring, rings true to me. Uh, it's an unpleasant feeling triggered by the perception of danger, real or imagined. But I wanted to la- dig a little bit deeper for this special Halloween episode. Webster says that's what fear is. <laughs> The start to every great wedding speech. (laughs) (laughs) Webster says divorce is. (laughs) It all went downhill when the pole became submerged at the Denver Aquarium. Um, So my my first source for the soft top is a medically reviewed article by Dr. Daniel B. Block. Uh, It's on the website verywellmind.com. And it's simply titled, What is Fear? So, you know, I think that um, our guess of kind of why we experience fear, we don't like it. It's not a pleasant sensation, but obviously it has some point to it. So I wanted to verify that. And that is indeed, uh, at least most scientists, most doctors believe uh, it is the case that fear is to keep us alive. I mean, this is a this is a very uh, important very vital emotion for the continuation of our species. It's a natural, primitive human emotion, and it involves essentially a universal biochemical response. So yes, there is an individualized emotional component to it, but this is something um, that pretty much every living thing with a developed nervous system can experience. So not only does this survival mechanism kick in as a response to a perceived threat, Um, but it could also be something in your mind. And I think that's the content that we're really trying to tap into with this Halloween special. So the physical reactions, it can include sweating, increased heart rate, high adrenaline levels, and it makes us extremely alert. So this physical response, it's called the fight or flight response. So your body is preparing itself to either enter combat or run away. And, uh, like I said, it can result from a physical threat, an emotional threat, or a psychological threat. So it could be any sort of threat of harm. So I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into um, some more specific styles of fear. So I dug a little bit deeper, and the next website that I found extremely fascinating Um, It comes from the legendary psychologist Paul Ekman. Now, I believe I've talked about Paul Ekman on the show before. Now, this guy, uh, real-life psychologist, he's the inspiration for some great content. I don't know if you guys have seen Lie to Me, starring Tim Roth. Oh, yeah. Brett. Yes. It's a good one. That's a classic. It's a classic. It's an old favorite of of Brian and I's, for sure. We, we, uh, I feel like it got canceled at some point after season two or season three. Um, yeah, there were just a few seasons, I think. Oh, so good. Nick, so well written. Nick, have you seen this at all? No, I, I don't even know if I've heard of it. I, Dr. Cal Lightman. Yeah, yeah, I highly recommend it. Um, I think it was on like network TV too, which is probably why I got I th- canceled. It was too good for network on TV. Is it on Netflix yeah, you, now? I think okay. you get it on Netflix. That's where I watched it. Okay. 
I watched yeah, it's, it. It's uh, about uh, when it was broadcast. Tim Roth. He's the uh, he's a body language expert, isn't that what it is? Or maybe he's a lying expert. He just reads like facial cues and body language. You could. He's a human lie detector. Exactly. A hundred percent. Travels so, around solving mysteries. Exactly. So, uh, so the real life Paul Ekman. Now he he co-discovered micro expressions, and he's basically one of the most influential people in the world. He's in uh, all these like top 100 lists. I'm not talking uh, most influential psychologist, although he is the that too. He is one of the most influential people. This guy's really made an impact on uh, on culture today, um, but especially for his incredible discoveries of studies in psychology, he's really made an impact on that particular field. So on his site, Paul Ekman labels seven universal emotions so uh, and this kind of goes back to the facial expressions the seven emotions are anger disgust surprise happiness sadness contempt and fear now on ekman's really fascinating page specifically on fear link of the show notes with all the other links that uh, we'll mention tonight um, he included a graph from the atlas of emotions and different fear intensities. So before we get into some terrifying content, I'm going to list these varying fear levels from least intense to most intense. Are you guys ready for this? Yes. I'm so ready, Brett. So at, on me. So at the bottom, we have trepidation and then nervousness. Moving on up to one I'm uh, unfortunately familiar with, as we all are at times, anxiety. And then dread. And uh, movie, <laughs> not exactly, but they're they're uh, fear adjacent for sure. Now, I'm hoping, guys, that dread is the absolute floor for the content that we've picked for this episode. That's well, uh, dread is a great <laughs> movie, though, Brett. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so after dread, we have desperation, then panic. One more level up is horror. And finally, at the tippy top. We have terror, so I kind of liked um, I kind of liked seeing fear um, sort of fractalized or you know put through a prism mm-hmm. and laid out in all its rudimentary uh, fear flavored colors. That is really cool. So there you guys have it, and um, <clears throat> like I said, I'm going to link to a few more articles that you yourself can check out, and you can dive into the science of the terrifying. Get you ready for these <laughs> "quote unquote" recommendations we're gonna make. I'm not, I'm not claiming that some of these are recommendations, by the way. Yeah, same. <laughs> uh, yeah, man, that's cool. Yeah, uh, I, I'm sure things like that are used whenever you know, like horror content is created. You know, just to, like a base understanding of how fear breaks down. But I also think it's really cool that humans are maybe one of the only creatures that create recreational fear like there's so much of our entertainment that revolves around intentionally scaring ourselves and i'm sure that has something to do with fear being like a base level instinct and us having engineered most of the the fear out of our lives at this point like everything is we already mentioned i live in suburbia it's about the least fearful place there is but uh you guys do you, do you think that like back when 
we were running from jungle cats that humanity was recreationally scaring itself. I, th- I feel like that's a recent development. Um, I w- I'm going to disagree with that. I bet you they were telling scary stories. Um, I bet that they would scare each other in jest. I, I, I think, uh, <clears throat> you know, I didn't mention this. I, I, I was trying to shorten up my off top a little bit, but I, I think it's a little bit more complicated than just fight or flight. There's another PhD that wrote an article I'm going to link to. Um, he, 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 it's, it's talking about the four F's of stress, actually. The four F's. So uh, those are um, beyond fight or flight. They actually use freeze or fuck as well. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of describing uh, anything that will cause an initial activation of the nervous system. And they, they talk about the stuff in, in, the met, in medical schools. They say the four F's. So they're talking about fight, flight, um, uh, in this case, fear and sex. So that's what initially activates the uh, nervous system. But I've also heard freeze or fornicate. So, I, I mean, I, the, I think the three F's and one S doesn't have quite the ring to it. <laughs> no, it the doesn't. Ring is the four yeah, F's. The four F's. Yeah. yeah it doesn't roll yeah. off the tongue at you all. You can decide the F word that you want to use at home. That's up to Fun. you. <laughs> but no, I mean, it's 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 really fascinating stuff. I mean, I, I imagine that there is a little bit more recreational fear today than there was when we were actually surviving. Um, but no, I think it's been I think fear and fun have been linked together uh since the dawn of the human brain i don't know nick what do you think uh yeah you're smart i'm so so smart um <laughs> well actually there was, there was another so yeah when you first mentioned fight or flight i was thinking god every time i get scared like le- legit scared in like the real world um i freeze and i was like i could have sworn that was like the other thing people do yeah mm-hmm. um so that's that's definitely my go-to and I, I think I just sit there and uh, I shut everything down so I can evaluate at, at like a closer level. Um, and so I think that's probably okay in the fight scenarios where that would be best used. Um, when flight was probably the, the optional route, I don't think the freeze uh, route I'd normally take is going to be the best. I just want to throw that out there. Yeah, freeze freeze is my thing. As far as humans, I feel it like, yes. the goats. Those goats are awesome when they just <laughs> fall over. goats. Yeah. Yeah, they have a huge fan base online because of how adorable they are. <laughs> no one would ever attack them. I think to maybe test that theory, though, we take like a, I don't know, like a tiger and have it scare the goats and then see see if that uh, the freeze actually works out in their favor on that one. Yeah, f- fainting goats, <laughs> that works great at goat yoga, but not so much whenever you're trying to not be food. Exactly. I was going to say, as far as the humans and the, and the history of the fear and fun, I feel like uh, our emotions, like you're saying, Josh, we have to find, we have to add the fear to our lives because we've engineered most of it out. I feel like uh, there's like a baseline level of everything that the like experiences of these different emotions that the, the mind and body need to kind of keep everything in balance. So I, th- I think it does make sense. I think I might be on Brett's side on this one that we would probably, I mean, I guess unless you lived in a terrifying place where everything was terrifying, I think just naturally we would end up just scaring ourselves to uh, just almost as an instinct to, to keep those, you know, keep a little bit of input in the fear center and, you know, as to be an opposite of the fun center. 
I think that makes sense to me. That kind of hones the edge. Yeah. That would make sense, you know, back in the day too, uh, recreationally scaring each other to keep your edge honed, especially if you had to like, you had to spend like two weeks back in the village planting seeds or something instead of going out hunting, <laughs> then uh, you would, you'd probably start longing for it. You know what? That's what I get guys for not being the smartest person in the room. <laughs> two on one. Bunch of geniuses. Uh, well, let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll get into this content. Ooh, content. Clear it out. Welcome back to the Content Clearinghouse. All right, Brett. So this idea, your idea was to bring, each bring a smattering of content uh, pieces from any genre that were scary to us or caused fear or I don't know, just terrifying stuff, right? That was the yes, idea here. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, <I'll> t- <laughs> oh man, Brett, you're scaring me. Uh, so I will tell you guys before we get going that this one was actually, this is kind of hard for me because I love this genre and I don't really watch or read things to be scared, specifically not reading. I'm not afraid of words. <laughs> but uh, but lately, I have been thinking about like horror movies specifically in a whole new way because of this podcast called With Gorley and Rust. It's uh, it's with these two guys, Matt Gorley and Paul Rust, who are like these comedians, these Hollywood guys, and they love they love Friday the Thirteenth and Halloween and all the horror movies from the eighties. And it's a comedy podcast, and it's like a they call it a an easy listening horror podcast. They have like soothing voices. And they're, but they're so passionate about these old horror movies. They're so funny that they really defang the content. It's with kind of their smooth approach to discussing it. And it's made me look at horror movies in a whole new way. Like very appreciative of the effects and the, the art of putting fear on the screen. But it all, all, it all honestly also kind of suppresses the fear a little bit more. Cause I, I've just been like a huge horror junkie for so long that, uh, you know, now I'm I'm just looking for the art and the design in these pieces of content, which is a really cool way to watch horror movies now, I think. So you'll have to keep that in mind whenever I uh, lay out some of my, my choices. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, uh, Brett, you want to go first? This is your idea. Sure, absolutely. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, right off the top, I noticed something interesting about my content selections. Um, all three... Uh, splatterings you said smatterings but i like splatterings of content oh, 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 we're gonna do horror puns tonight all, all night or <laughs> until you die oh well you got to keep it going at this point um so all of my splatterings of content um they're all movies and i i was thinking about this i i, I think it's interesting that all three of my top most frightening pieces of content i could think of are films and i do not think i don't think it's a coincidence so my theory on this um is that i'm somebody that tends to avoid feeling the type of fear that i get from scary movies scary shows it's i like working with fear i like the physiological sensation i get when i'm you know shooting a challenging approach flying or i'm skydiving and i you know you can't turn off those feelings, right? But you can accept them. You can allow them. You can breathe. You can, 
you can still perform despite those feelings. And then you get that sense of accomplishment afterwards. Now, that is a type of fear that I like. The the sort of uh, sitting in a theater and something is about to jump out at me or like something is about to gross me out. That gives me like a different kind of nervous energy, a different kind of anxiety. And I don't like it. But every once in a while, I'm in the mood for it. Right. So this is why I'm not a horror fan. But every once in a while, and I think that uh, the spooky season brings it out in me. But my, my theory relating to movies on this is a horror-based show, now that's asking me or it's it's expecting me to be in the mood uh, for a good scare on a pretty regular basis or on a consistent basis. And I'm just not that person. Like every once in a while, I want to be scared watching a movie, right, or seeing something. But a show is just it's really asking me to be in that mood a lot. So that's that's it's a long time. That's my theory, at least. Um, I have a theory. Yeah, go for it. You, you brought up about um, about you, you kind of enjoy that sensation, like when you're shooting a hard approach or skydiving or something. And uh, I've heard people, you know, everybody always refers to people that are into things like that as adrenaline junkies. And I've got a, a theory that you're not addicted to adrenaline because nobody likes the feeling of adrenaline. It's just not a good feeling. What you're addicted to is adrenaline suppression. Mm -hmm. You're addicted to being able to operate in those typically adrenaline soaked scenarios without feeling the same kind of like crippling fear that you might, if you weren't conditioned to that, that's a theory that I've had about, uh, about being in a quote unquote adrenaline junkie for a while now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's interesting. Yeah, I'd buy that. I think that jives pretty well with the way I've kind of approached everything from skydiving to some of the more scary stuff I've done. It's like preparation for some real crazy event in the future. Can I keep my cool? Yeah, totally. Kicking back and relaxing on on top of an ICBM silo. That's (laughs) (laughs) What if it launches? That's pretty ballsy. (laughs) Actually, I was a little worried based on the condition of it if it was going to uh, collapse under us. There's lots (laughs) of rust. It it was stable. Flip six, three hole, Heather, Miles, and their airstream were never seen again. <laughs> um, Ooh, spooky. <laughs> so my three movies, um, I'm not going to give you all the titles yet. I'll start with one. Um, but I have a serial killer scary. I've got a ghost scary. And then I just have a terrifying scary. So um, I'm starting out with my serial killer, uh, serial killer scary. Now, this is seven. Mm. spoilers good one. spoilers ahead <laughs> did you catch that, that? did you catch one. my pun there is a major spoiler ahead oh <laughs> what's in the box? Gwyneth Paltrow <laughs> so um so I imagine this 1990 film would be at the top of many movie lovers lists of the most frightening films this movie is described as a neo-noir psychological crime thriller it was written by Andrew Kevin Walker, directed by David Fincher. It gets an 82% on the Rotten Tomatoes tomato meter, but the audience gave it a 95%. I give it 112% because why not? <laughs> so the setup is simple. It's actually kind of cliche. Two detectives, a rookie and a veteran. They're hunting a serial killer who uses the seven deadly sins as his hmm. motives. Now, a few things take this movie to the next level incredible performances we've got brad pitt as the rookie cop turned detective uh morgan so freeman <laughs> so 
He's so sultry. He still looks so good, too. It's like, <laughs> oh, my God, Brad. Um, we got Morgan Freeman. He's the experienced veteran detective. The voice of God. <laughs> Real life creep show. Kevin Spacey plays the serial killer. <laughs> Quote unquote it. acting. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Gwyneth Piltrow, who plays the head in the box. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Starring so, role. So not only has this movie left a deep impression on me from just the sheer trauma of watching it because it's just so damn frightening. Um, it's also left uh, another kind of mark on me that you guys have made apparent it has left this very same mark on you as well. Anytime Bree and I get something in the mail and we don't know what's in there, <laughs> we're always saying, what's in the box? Uh, yeah, of course. Um, another- anytime I anytime I drive by like out in the out in the middle of a big like a desert area and I see the power lines that oh, yeah. just run off into the horizon I'm like oh my god with the paltrow's head is still out there <laughs> <laughs> I bet you at least one of our listeners is going to hear me say seven and they're going to say what's in the box with you guys <laughs> of course um so the uh, another quick thing I want to point out about this movie the effects man I mean when it comes to the uh, corpses the bodies they find it's it's well done it's terrifyingly realistic and that's mm. the thing about this movie it kind of hits this sweet spot of showcasing these like over the top unbelievable crimes these horrific scenes meant to leave an impact and send a message by creating this in you know dramatic and theatrical crime scene but at the same time we know that life imitates art and there is a real life president for real life people that do these sorts of things. So it has this air of believability. It's it's somewhat grounded in reality. Uh, there are psychopaths that don't just want to kill a victim. They want to butcher that person or they want to display that victim in a certain way to leave trauma on whoever finds the body. So, I mean, I can't imagine being wired in such a way where you're driven to leave as much trauma and pain on the world as you possibly can. It's, it's so bizarre to me and it, it, it's an asshole move. It's horrifying, but it's also kind of fascinating. And seven taps into all of those emotions. And that's why it's on my list. All right. Who's next? That is a great movie. (laughs) It is so good. (laughs) It's very spooky of you, Brett. (laughs) All right, Nick, do you have something spookier, spooky as, as spooky as? Well, (laughs) I might be a counterpoint with some of the choices I've made uh, for my pieces tonight uh, compared to what you guys might be bringing to the table. Uh, Like Brett, I'm also not a huge horror fan. I don't really seek it out. I do agree there are moments where I, uh, you know, like to enjoy it here and there. For the pieces, the two really I'm going to get into today, I just thought about what actually has really scared me in the past and what scares me now? And let me start with a question on this first one. So I will say actually for the second one, I was actually able to come up with a podcast. Um, so one movie, one podcast. This first one is a movie. Yeah. I thought actually before you get it, I thought one of your, one of your choices was going to be the concept that point break had never been made. (laughs) Yeah, let's scratch that. I will have three pieces tonight. I will rip that third one into the ground. 
Actually, it kind of plays into the point of my first one here. So let me ask a question. How important would you say it is for the human mind to maintain its grip on reality for the long-term viability of said human mind? I Can you repeat the question? <laughs> uh, B. <laughs> All it was up. a multiple choice. So how say it again, how important do you, Would you are you're asking how important it is to retain the mind's ability to to, to maintain reality? Yeah, let me rephrase it this way. All right. How would you expect the human mind to respond to a significant violation of the model of the rules of the universe that it, as it understands it? Something that just doesn't fit everything you believed uh, could be possible in the universe and the world you, is the way you understand it. I think, brain. I think it's very, very important to not have that happen to you because <laughs> I think that um, people with uh, certain sort of disorders – or people on certain types of drugs, uh, they don't function well on a regular basis. It's it's difficult, I think. So uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm uh, also going with greed. Not good. <laughs> yeah, my simple answer would be uh, with fear. That's how my brain has reacted to this. Uh, I'll say twice now in my life. Uh, once uh, was this movie. I'm going to bring up uh, the first time. Yeah, so the first time this happened to me, uh, I was probably, I don't know, 10, maybe a little younger than 10, uh, when my cousins started watching this movie, and something about it uh, just flipped that switch in my brain and was like, oh my god, everything I thought that was real or possible or should be possible, I may have been wrong with, and it, it kind of freaked me out, and I left pretty early in this movie, so I don't remember a lot of details about the movie. So, uh, this movie, of course, was Howard the Duck. <laughs> Are you guys familiar? It's terrifying. Are you familiar with this movie, either of you? <laughs> yes. I've so, never seen it, actually. I, I only know the Howard the Duck references from the Marvel. Yeah, actually, I learned that uh, in the quick little research I was able to put together before this. This was actually in the Marvel Universe. This is a Marvel story. Um, it's also a George Lucas film. Yes. Uh, so let, I'll, 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 I'll recap the movie in a second. Let me explain. Well, let me recap the movie and then I'll explain why it really screwed me up. Um, all right. So Howard the Duck, known in Europe as Howard, a new breed of hero, is the 1986 American science fiction film, comedy film directed by Willard Hayek and starring Lee Thompson, Jeffrey Jones and Tim Robbins. Uh, based on the Marvel Comics character of the same name. Uh, it was produced by Gloria Katz and uh, with George Lucas, like you said, as an executive producer. The screenplay was originally intended to be an animated film, and I wish it had been. Uh, but the adaptation became a live action because of a contractual obligation. I'm not sure what that means, uh, how that comes about. Uh, and I probably could have researched that, but I didn't. Uh, and this was the interesting thing about the Marvel side of it. Uh, there apparently... It was the first uh, full-length theatrical release of a Marvel character since uh, Captain America in uh, 1944. I bet that was great. Or the serial of 1944. It was 20 years since they had done a, a, a Marvel character. Um, so Lucas uh, proposed adapting the comic book following uh, the production of American Graffiti. And after multiple production difficulties and a mixed response to test screenings, Howard the Duck was released uh, to theaters in '86. Uh, upon its release, the film was a critical and commercial failure. 
uh, was criticized <laughs> for its humor, performances, inconsistent tone, and appearance of the title character. That's very important. Ooh, and that's all the things. Though the effects and soundtrack were mostly praised, in the years since, it has been considered one of the worst films of all time. It has oh also <laughs> developed a cult following. <laughs> it was nominated for seven Razzie Awards, winning four. Uh, it made $30 million, or $38 million on a 30 to $37 million budget, so it basically broke even. So, like I said, I was probably 8, 10, something like that, and I wasn't prepared to see this. So, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the term Uncanny Valley when it comes to like uh, AI renderings and stuff like that. Yeah. There's something akin to that in this movie with this duck, live-action duck, that comes out wearing a suit, uh, talking like some guy from Brooklyn or the Bronx or something, uh, doing... I'm walking in! Yeah, he comes in and he does kung fu to save some girl. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, I think, if I remember right. Um, from some, th- you know, typical 80s thugs wearing some really typical 80s movie thug outfits in the back alley of somewhere. And Price spikes on their leather jacket. Yes, uh, that and all kinds of weird patches and some chains and stuff. I think they actually had makeup on and you know, some spiky hair, all that kind of good stuff. But I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was just too real or too close to real. And like my imagination was like pretty good. I mean, back in those days and still is. And it just felt so real to me that it, it literally terrified me. I I remember thinking this can't be real. I I don't know. Maybe they didn't prep me for what it was. (laughs) Maybe I thought it was actually a real freaking walking, talking duck man, but uh, it, it, kids will believe anything. Yeah. It, it put the fear in me and I walked away and, I could probably watch it now. I probably should have if I had found the time. But uh, that that was my first break from reality, even though it wasn't actually reality. Um, have you guys ever had anything, at least content-wise, do anything like that to you? I, know, I would imagine it would have to be a young thing. I don't think I don't think any piece of content could do that to me now. Um, actually got something I'm talking about that's like that. The first one I'm bringing up. But you know what? That so my first piece is also kind of about something that terrified me when I was a kid, and you bringing this up also makes me think about uh, as a person that's raising children how vital it is to curate what they are exposed to because mm. you never know what is going to do this, what is going to break their brain. Because I I had a I mean it's very similar first thing I'm talking about. And that is just, you know, you look at Howard the Duck now and it's, it's so innocuous, you know, it's just like, uh, it's, it's like the unofficial logo for the Razzie awards, but <laughs> the thinking about how impactful that is to you, man, that is an important piece of information to keep in mind <laughs> when I'm raising children. Hey, I still can't go near a pond to this day. <laughs> I do. I, I think you guys need to, Give yourself a little bit of credit, though. Like when I thought you were bringing that, I thought uh, before you told the story that this happened when you were an adult. Um, and so I'm, I'm I don't know. I think that uh, I wouldn't consider it breaking your brain. Maybe it's more of a rite of passage for mm. a kid to be really frightened by something because there's always going to be, you know, the that some that really impactful fear. It's like the first time our fear circuits are really being triggered is like this, you know, unknown threat. Um, and we're still at an age where it's maybe difficult to 
delineate between fiction and nonfiction or reality yeah. and imagination. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe you can reframe that. <laughs> so you don't feel like you were broken at eight years old. <laughs> well, yeah. And I, I think say- it's important to decide to, or to make sure that a kid is equipped with the proper mental tools to deal with things like that. <laughs> but, but, you know, it being Howard the Duck, it's like, that's a good reminder that you never know what it's going to be. It's mm-hmm. probably going to happen no matter what. Yeah. I, just, I think, uh, so I mentioned there was a second time I'll get to that, but I think it was just, I was so confident that I understood reality at that point that it shocked me that maybe, holy shit, I don't actually understand reality. And the second You've time- just never been to the movies. Right. I don't think anything like that could probably ever happen again unless like literally something, you know, reality breaking happened, like you know, a tear in the matrix or something quite obvious. I did have a dream the second time. overlap. Right. The, uh, the only other experience like that I've had- um, I don't remember how old I was. I was probably in my 20s at this point. I have some pretty wild dreams. I had a dream that shook me just like that. I was driving down an old road near my house, and I saw a ho- it was like night, and it was kind of foggy or whatever, and a horse ran across the road. And I was like, oh, whatever, a horse. But it hit the fence on the other side of the road and flipped over like a like a sprite, like a, a, like a video game character, and landed on its head, and it, just, it was just balanced perfectly on its head, and its legs were just flopping around. And it was the same thing. It was like... I, in that moment, I was like, this this can't happen. This is not how reality works. And I woke <laughs> up shook the same way that Howard the Duck did from that, that one dream. Um, and I've actually, yes, I mean, I remember that 20 years later. That's crazy. It didn't, it didn't change the fact that you woke up and realized it was a dream? Because usually it seems like you see all kind of reality breaking things in your dreams. And then when you wake <laughs> up. You know, no, yeah, some yeah, sort of. It was uh, what I remember waking up. I mean, obviously, as soon as I woke up, I realized, okay, holy shit, that was just a dream. And yeah, like you said, there's, I've had all kinds of wild reality breaking things. But I think the thing that got me was the terror I had at the end of that dream, realizing, again, I don't understand reality as I think I do. That's interesting. Well, that actually feeds really well into my <laughs> first choice, man. You're hitting all the hitting all around it. Um, so I put together three choices that are the first one is because of the concept. The second is because of the effects. And the third is because of the reality of it. And, uh, like I said, like these are not necessarily recommendations, although this first one is a straight up recommendation because this is a great movie and it doesn't really need any explanation. It's the first nightmare on Elm street. Mm. And it is kind of, this is kind of a softball, but it's such a classic. And, this might have been one of my first films or maybe real even concepts that truly terrified me. Like I was aware of Nightmare on Elm Street very young, but I didn't see the movie until much later. So my mind, my child mind kind of filled in the blanks on what a dream demon was and that concept was so terrifying as like a 6-year-old or however old I was. You know, a demon that can kill you in your sleep is scary to a anyone really, but especially a child, because there's literally no escape. But recently I watched this movie again in the last year and man, it really holds up. Hmm. Freddie did not start off as the merry prankster of dream murder. He was much less funny and more menacing in the first film. And he, he kind of became a caricature of himself in the later movies. And by doing that, he became iconic, but I find, and I think most people find 
the concept of Freddy Krueger much less terrifying than they than they do in the first one. And I don't know if you are not like a connoisseur of these films, you may not even remember that Freddy was actually scary in the first movie. And the in the first one though, it his performance, Robert England's performance, is just like pure terror, and it literally haunted my dreams when I was a child. Now, do you guys have you ever heard of worry dolls? Yeah, I think so. Is this like a? There are they little troll sized dolls that you? They're probably like an inch tall. I think okay. they're like a Mexican style doll. It's it's like a a wire. It's just like oh, kind yeah. of a a little yep. human wire frame, and it's wrapped with thread. So it has like different designs, and you're supposed to rub them when you get worried. Uh huh. Well, I was uh, I was introduced to worry dolls uh, <laughs> right around the time that uh, I also was introduced to Freddy Krueger, and man. The combination of of knowing that there was a toy that I was supposed to worry on, <laughs> and then uh, understanding that Freddy Krueger existed, that made it way worse. Because then I was like, "Oh, there's like a there's a there's an escape. I'll just worry on this doll." And then I was just so obsessed with being worried. Man, what a nightmare being a child is. That's awesome. Oh, we actually boy. have two of those. Now that you mentioned, we have two of those in our bus, and I don't know where they came from, and I never really knew what they were. But I have exactly what you you're have worry on them. No, God, no! <laughs> they well, could be I wish they haunted were here. dolls. <laughs> if you see a uh, Howard the Duck poster, you might have a reason to bust those out of storage. <laughs> That's right. I did look up some uh, some cool stuff about this movie. I don't go too deep into it. You guys know what Friday the Thirteenth is, but mm. uh, this movie was created in response to a series of articles Wes Craven read in the LA Times about men in Southeast Asia that died in the middle of nightmares. And that was the impetus for Freddie. It's just like some oh, crazy article from back in the huh. late seventies. And also at the time, every killer was wearing a mask. There's Michael Myers and Jason and Leatherface. And he wanted a killer with the appearance of a mask, but able to be more expressive and, uh, uh, also have the ability to speak. And so that combined with, he wanted an iconic weapon, and he realized that knives were kind of like blasé at this point, but they're still scary. It's like way scarier to get stabbed than really any other type of weapon. So he created the, you know, the iconic knife glove, and the name Freddy Krueger was a kid that had bullied him in school, huh. Fred Krueger. So he named, you know, this ah. horrifying monster after him. Can you imagine being that kid? Oh to, like realize later, that's hilarious. <laughs> like, wow, I must have been a real shithead when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I horrified Wes Craven, who went on to be one of the most iconic directors in horror cinema. Wow. <laughs> so many good choices. Such an iconic creation. And that exemplifies why I love horror so much. The artistry of creating these things that haunted me as a child. If you haven't seen this movie recently, you should totally revisit it. It's a hundred percent worth it. Holds up across the board. Sounds like it hits on Ekman's uh, top of the fear scale. Terror. Oh yes, very I, uh, fractalized breakdown of fear. <laughs> I actually uh, consider that one uh, for one of mine as well. Uh, same cousins that introduced me to Howard the Duck. Uh, maybe a couple years later, introduced me to Freddy and. Um, I want to say I actually finished the Freddy ones. I was able to do that. I guess by that point, I didn't care about reality anymore. And just whatever happened, <laughs> I, I could deal with it. You're over it. That was your short stint <laughs> as a nihilist. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I was actually, I liked this experiment because um, for those listening, we did not tell each other beforehand what, what's on our lists. So I was hoping there's going to be at least 
one overlap, there might still be. We shall see. <laughs> there could be. Well, I'm. Uh, that's kind of yeah. that's a hallmark of this show. You never know what you're getting into. As you and I, we never know. Which that's a hallmark of fear. So fear of the unknown. Yeah, I agree. exactly. <laughs> Sound like Elsa over there. Okay, well, I uh, am ready to move on to my ghost scary. Speaking of artistry, now the the reason I came up with the idea to do a Halloween special is actually two reasons. Josh, uh, you recommending American Horror Story season nine? I thought, you know what? I've gotten so many recommendations to watch American Horror Story, and I never know where to start because I know it's all standalones, blah, blah, blah. Finally had some time for some content. I'm in the mood for spooky season. So I've been watching. I think I'm up to like episode six. Um, But also, also, I saw the movie I'm about to talk about on TV. It just happened to be playing on TV um, while I was uh, in in training uh, in ground in Miami. So uh, I, I watched just a snippet of it, but it reminded me how much this movie scared the crap out of me. And that is The Sixth Sense. Ooh. I think I was just oh, a little man. too young when I first saw this movie because it, re- it really got under my skin. Um, Somebody screaming, <laughs> I see dead people. There's scream whispering it. Uh, I remember, the- I specifically remember, this is like back before the age of spoilers, really. You know, it was like the internet was in its nascent period. And I remember being totally blown away with it when I saw it in the theater the first time. Yeah, it's it's a good one. And you know, I mean, I my question to you is, do you ever feel the prickly things on the back of your neck? The tiny hairs on your arm, you know when they stand up? That's what happens to me when I watch this movie. <laughs> is that a Haley Joel Osment impression? It, it's not very good, but that's what I was going for. I got so, it. So Don't this is uh, so this is M Night Shyamalan's third movie. Um, it's a well-known supernatural psychological thriller that frightened audiences in theaters uh, everywhere in 1999, thanks to a great plot, great writing, a great cast, and Haley Joel Osment. Kids just creep me out, man. Uh, but this movie, it really left a, a, a massive impact on mainstream entertainment. I mean, I, I, it, I think one of the problems with it, though, is that it set the bar too damn high for pretty much all of M. Night Shyamalan's other work. And that's really, there's an unfortunate consequence of birthing like an instant classic. I mean, this, this movie was nominated for six Academy Awards. It was the second highest grossing film of 1999. And then M. Night Shyamalan went on to make a few mediocre and even some pretty bad movies after releasing one of the best thrillers in a generation. And if you do that, Josh will make fun of you by adding a ding dong to your name. <laughs> I didn't and, come up with that. And calling you M. Night Shyamalan a ding dong. I know what it, you know what it really did though? It, it did have an impression on on filmmaking, but the biggest impression it had on filmmaking was M. Night Shyamalan ding dong's movies. <laughs> he basically like he set himself up to be the twist ending guy. What the twist for sure. He was like the only person doing that after a certain point and you're like i know you can make awesome movies he made unbreakable yeah and sixth sense and uh i guess some other ones i don't know <laughs> what's the, but, what's the uh, one um where they live in like a reserve and there's these monsters that supposedly the village the, the village. village that one got me pretty good 
Yeah, yeah it, I mean, it, it, was, was, it was decent. It wasn't she bad. She needed to get away from the twist and just let it's, his other storytelling abilities shine. So is that why you call used to call him M. Light, M. Night Shalomata Ding Dong? I don't know. I just thought okay. it had a nice ring to it. <laughs> well, look, uh, does he does he deserve childish names just because he brought us the movie Lady in the Water? Yes, yes he does. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> but only once. And after that, in my opinion, he deserves to be applauded, praised, celebrated because Shamalanga Ding Dong has earned his spot in the halls of contentologist history. All of the lady halls to the wall. <laughs> halls to the wall. So all the lady in the water jokes aside, I'm I'm truly a big fan of uh, several M Night Sh- Shyamalan's movies. Now it's hard to say his name normally. <laughs> Shyamalan Ding Dong. <laughs> so Signs is one of my favorite. Um, it's also very scary. Um, Why would men- you come to Earth if you were allergic to water, though? <laughs> Let's not get into the details. Spoiler alert. Uh, You got to rate yourself out of uh, a quarter sometimes. (laughs) Unbreakable. You mentioned Unbreakable. It's super underrated. It's so good. Way ahead of its time. Um, Also, Split. split. Uh, Yes, Split. Amazing. I will attribute that more to James McAvoy's acting, though, than M. Night Shyamalan's writing or directing. Um, Because I think his performance is really what like sets that movie apart, but let's get back. Shamalama Ding Dong still had his <laughs> twisty little fingers all over it though. <laughs> so you got to give him some credit for that one too. <laughs> all right. So to wrap up my section on the sixth sense, cause I'm not going to be able to top that. I did want to share an interesting bit of movie, trivia about how, uh, Haley Joel Osment got the role of the little boy Cole Sear in the sixth sense. So reportedly, he got the role for three reasons. First, he was best for it. Thanks, IMDb. Uh, Thanks, meritocracy. <laughs> uh, second, he was the only boy at the auditions who wore a tie. Dress for the oh. job you want, not the job you have. I like it. So dandy. <laughs> Third, Shyamalan was surprised when he asked Osment if he, uh, if he read his part. Osment replied, I read it three times last night. Shyamalan was impressed, saying, wow, you read your part three times? To which Osment replied, no, I read the script three times. Oh, <laughs> probably solved a Rubik's Cube that was sitting on Shyamalan's desk, too. <laughs> he was so impressed. Honestly, this movie, it's it defined the quintessential movie plot twist. It was praised by critics, loved by audiences, and in my opinion, it deserves a spot on the Content Terror House's uh, Halloween special spookiest list ever <laughs> brett awesome choice uh agree with everything nick <laughs> what's your next one <laughs> all right um well i already told you uh i found a way to bring a podcast um to this it uh i, I, I again i went with the theme uh what literally scares me and it you know definitely uh have had a trouble with a lot of movies I considered things like Candyman, another one that really messed with me when I was younger. Ooh, um, me too. Obviously, the Freddies or the Nightmare on Elm Streets. Uh, After watching they- Candyman, I spent at least a week just <laughs> peeing my pants because I was afraid to go in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Uh, but then I thought I was about afraid I would say it <laughs> five times. This is like standing. It's like standing next to a cliff. You're afraid you're going to jump. You're afraid you're <laughs> yeah, going to say intrusive thoughts. <laughs> yeah. So, 
I was uh, I was trying to think of what what scares me right now, and being an aging human, uh, this podcast speaks directly to that. Um, the podcast is called uh, aptly "This Podcast Will Kill You." Um, it might not be, or I'm certain it's not what you might be thinking about. Uh, it might be about. Um, it's actually about things that scare me uh, this day and age more than just about anything aside from large cats, and that is diseases. Ooh. Oh, this is a podcast I've listened to. I have listened to this as well. I'm looking yeah, it up right this now. Is, this is a good one. It's yeah. on the My Favorite Murder, uh, their network, right? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm right about that. Yeah, I we can just so. agree with me. 100%, 100% right. <laughs> I think it's from Exactly Right. Yeah, Maybe. that's their podcast network. It is? Yeah. It's under that's the exactly last right. podcast that's what they network always say. umbrella. Oh, yeah, 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 totally. That's ex- that's exactly right, Brett. I think you're gaslighting me, which is something that frightens <laughs> me. That's what <laughs> they, frightening. They say it, it, the my favorite murder podcast. Oh, network my favorite could murder have been called Look, not, or li- Look and Listen or Exactly Right. Those are the two names that it could have my been. My favorite murder. Exactly you're correct. Right. I thought you were talking last podcast network for some reason. Uh, no, Brett, I'm talking about a that, whole different thing. My favorite murder. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry for the in- intrusive thoughts. <laughs> Apology accepted. Well, a- a- as a moderate uh, hypochondriac with some uh, not quite fully diagnosed issues going on, this podcast is my nightmare fuel. Um, the description, so you guys uh, have have listened to some of it. The description of the podcast itself from them is... Uh, this podcast might not actually kill you, but it covers so many things that can. Each episode tackles a different disease from its history to its biology. And finally, how scared you need to be. Uh, ecologists and epi- epidemiologists Aaron Welsh, words are hard, and Aaron Almond Updike make infectious disease acceptable fodder for dinner party conversation and provide the perfect cocktail recipe to match. Uh, just for the listeners who aren't exposed to this podcast yet, uh, here are a couple classic titles um, from their 84 episodes now. Episode 74, Nigleria Fowleri, The Brain-Eating Amoeba. Episode 67, HPV, <sighs> My Wart Be With You. And episode 20, <laughs> oh, no. Prions, Apocalypse Cal. Um, yeah, we like prions here. Prions freak me out. That, that's yeah, like so scary. scary. Yeah, that and... I just saw a sign uh, when we were driving through Kansas, or maybe it was Oklahoma. We're in Oklahoma today now, about uh, uh, chronic wasting disease making its way down here in the deer. Freaky stuff. Uh, not much really to say about the podcast. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, the hosts do a great job. They're excellent uh, podcasters. Uh, they do a great job of diving deep into the details about the diseases uh, in an easy to digest and perhaps uh, somewhat inappropriate the uh, chipper manner uh, their hmm. soothing voices are the best way I've found uh, to ease into a panic state of high anxiety <laughs> it's like Gorley and Russ the easy listening horror podcast the same same concept but for diseases right yeah so I mean both of these errands like I said do a great job um, they do a ton of research they give you a really good perspective on the history and uh like they said, they let you know how scared you need to be. I mean, in most cases, uh, we're not going to run into a lot of, th- I mean, they talk about common things that, um, you can pick up just about anywhere, but a lot of the stuff is pretty obscure and, 
as a normal human in modern America, you don't really have to be scared of many of these things. But as a person who uh, likes to get on Google and play doctor, uh, once they list one, maybe two symptoms that I've experienced ever, I am certain that I probably have HPV, uh, Nigleria flowery, and uh, probably some prions running loose in my brain. Tactical so, error. <laughs> as far as fear goes these days, this one this one tops my charts because I, uh, like I mentioned, I haven't really sought out any good horror movies lately. But this this is where this is where I keep my my fear levels um, uh, elevated enough to to remain a balanced human. Do you find that embracing that fear by listening to this podcast is like oddly soothing in some way? Um, no, no, I don't think so. I think it just makes it worse. <laughs> okay, well, maybe you shouldn't do that. Then. <laughs> Nick, thank you for reminding us that we don't even need to watch scary movies to be scared on Halloween because real life is already pretty scary. Just go outside, breathe some air. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's enough enough terror floating around for you. I love this suggestion. This is definitely one that's going on my future content circuit. Um, one of the best last podcast series uh, in recent memory was the one on the Black Death. Black Death, so um, good, man. I truly believe that that period of time was the worst period of time in history ever to be mm -hmm. alive in. So, um, yeah, this stuff's truly fascinating. That's an awesome one, Flip Six Three Hole. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks yeah, for that's the... good. I, I like your approach to it, too. It's like, a, it's, de it's very different than the way we're doing it. I think you're going with things that have, instead of being recreationally scary, it, like, mm -hmm. actually, as you say, broke your brain or <laughs> caused, like, ongoing <laughs> low-level horror and terror in you at all times. <laughs> so... It's very, uh, very cheerful way to offset what yeah. we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, it's a lifestyle choice, isn't it? It's yeah, fear. Yeah, <laughs> it's the way I live. <laughs> All right, I got one that actually, as an adult, this is something that I intentionally avoided for the longest time, and this is the, what makes this one so scary to me was the effects, and it's all it's just what they put on screen is so believable, and that's martyrs which is a film I know you've watched, mm. right, Brett? I have. I have. I liked it. I know. You were not affected by it the same way I was. I wasn't, and, uh, which is interesting, yeah. It is really weird because this it's is subjective. Like totally fear, right in my alley. Fear is, um, as I was reading in those uh, scientific articles, uh, you know, there's a hugely individualized subjective component to what sort of things we find threatening. Yeah. This movie, this for some reason, even as an adult was very intimidating. And I, I used to watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake as my falling asleep movie. <laughs> I know everyone's very impressed with my bravery, but <laughs> it's like movies do not scare me, but, uh, this movie really did. And, uh, it probably needs a little bit more of an intro. If you listen to me talk about horror, you know that I found this movie very disturbing and didn't want to watch it a second time. And this is a, it's a French film about two young girls that have been tortured by a mysterious and shadowy organization. And they perform this home invasion on some of the perpetrators in an attempt to get revenge. And it does not go well. In fact, it gets so much worse for them than anything they had ever experienced before. And this, this film is, it's part of the new French extremity movement, which is a, 
a loose collection of transgressive films that tackle extreme subject matter like sexual violence and torture. And that is not typically my thing, but this one, I did seek it out specifically because it was put on almost every single list of the scariest movies of all time. Um, when those, any list that doesn't include the exorcist, let me correct that. Cause that's such a softball phone it in answer for the scariest movie of all time. But when you get above that class of list and you get into the things that like people that are really into this stuff don't want to watch, <laughs> that's where this shows up. Uh, and I avoided this film for years and that's not something I would typically do with horror because I love, you know, twisted shit on film. But the concept of personalized abuse and brutalizing seemed so much more extreme in this film than anything I'd ever seen before. And like I said, I used to watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre to fall asleep. So I put this off and then eventually decided to watch it and it was intense. In fact, I think I told you, Brett, afterwards about it and then for some reason you went and watched it and loved it. But the uh, Well, I the thought depictions... I, it was scary, but it was just yeah. very good. It was a great concept and uh it was very it was very well done yeah i mean it was very well done and i'm glad i watched it but it's it's probably the actually other than the next movie i'm talking about the only movie ever i was like once was enough uh there's one long torture scene that doesn't involve any implements of torture other than some dude's fists and it seemed like they really just filmed a guy beating up the actress it's so real and this film also features one of the most horrifying creature designs I've ever seen. If you've seen the movie or any clips, you've seen this creature. It looks horrifying, but the creature design really sells the backstory of how much torture a person would need to go through to become something like this. And visions of that design are still imprinted in my mind. So this is not a film that I would recommend to anyone. <laughs> However, there are some sick fucks out there like me that would find this maybe appealing. And for those people, I commend you just know going in that viewing martyrs, it's not a film you watch. It is a brutal experience that happens to you and it sticks with you for years. It's a, it's quite terrifying. Why, why don't I remember the, uh, the creature in the movie? Um, you may not have thought of this thing, thing as a creature but in i think it's in the credits they refer to it as the creature gotcha. it's the it's the girl okay. with like the all the armored things over her eyes and her crotch and everything that is like haunting one gotcha. of the one of the main characters okay yeah i um have never seen this i remember you guys talking about it on the show um not wanting to experience my third reality break, I'm probably going to skip this one. <laughs> it's a lot. It, it's a, it is a lot. It is a lot. Okay, well, I got, I got a, um, a oh my god, everything's scary movie. Which, in my opinion, I don't know why I would think this, but I think it's more frightening than Martyrs for sure. Wow. Okay. Um, so originally, I, I do want to give an honorable mention. Um, I had a somewhat obscure sci-fi movie on my list as a sci-fi scary. I had the Danny Boyle 2007 film Sunshine. I was going to talk about. It's a good one. That's a movie that I really love and that really freaks me out. But interestingly, um, a long time ago, it's a, it's a movie I was really excited to watch with Brie. 
and I'd really talked up the thrill factor, and she did not find it scary at all. So just goes to show how uh, how subjective things really can be. Um, but when I mentioned this to her, she reminded me of this other movie that did terrify her, and I was like, oh yeah, that terrified me. And dare I say it's uh, even better than... Uh, in terms of getting under your skin and terrifying you, it's 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 even more frightening than this godlike entity or religious icon uh, coming out of the sun and mind melding you, and then slowly baking your skin until you're crispy because you've been exposing yourself to sunlight. Ah, I gotta watch sunlight again. My number or one sunshine. Fear. You just described it. <laughs> um, anyway, so Brie reminded me of uh, the 2005 British adventure horror film, The Descent. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nick, that's you a, haven't seen this one? That's a car wreck at the uh, beginning. No. <laughs> I highly recommend this uh, movie. Um, it doesn't just frighten me. It terrifies me. Uh, it taps into all kinds of very common fears. Uh, claustrophobia. Brett doesn't like holes in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Who does, man? Always twisting ankles. Gophers. <laughs> um, it, I mean, it, claustrophobia, uh, the, just the fear of the unknown. Also, if you happen to be afraid of inbred cave-dwelling monsters. Uh, <laughs> My number two fear. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's truly one of the greatest horror films ever made. And it's not just about the scares and the thrills. It's got this fantastic backstory, a lot of emotional undertones, and a lot of tension between these characters, and it makes for a great setup that plays out in really interesting ways. So for uh, so for you, Nick, since you haven't seen this film, the basic premise is a group of adventurous friends that go caving. All so, ladies. All ladies. And it, and it takes place a year after one of the main characters, Sarah, experiences a severe emotional trauma. I'm not going to share much about it, but after descending underground... They start to find these strange cave paintings and evidence of an earlier expedition, and they soon learn that they're not alone, and there are some strange underground predators living below ground that begin to pursue their prey. Spooky. Um, <laughs> so, so I asked Bree why she thinks the descent is so scary, and I think she hit the nail on the head. When you're being chased by something in a cave, there is nowhere to go. You can't just run away. You can't run into the woods or, you know, run into a building. There's no escape. You're trapped. And I think that's something that it up thing quite probably well. doesn't need any tools to chase you. If your tools yeah. start to fail you, you are <laughs> fucked. And that thing doesn't even need eyes. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, the lack exactly. of light, I would see being a, a, a great addition to the fear levels of being chased by something. In a cave. Plus, a very faces, cheap movie to make dark. if it just takes place in pitch blackness. Yeah. <laughs> it's more of a soundscape at that point, isn't it? <laughs> um, all right. Well, that's it for my list. Josh, I think you have one more for us. Oh, man. I do. Yeah. I'm so scared man, to hear what it is. Been such a great list already. <laughs> all, all things I love, except for maybe Howard the Duck. I don't know. Uh, I don't know enough about it to love it, but it does seem like it would be. I, I could totally see it being like a cult classic now. I don't think I've seen it probably since I was a kid either. But uh, all right. So this one, what makes this so scary to me is the reality of it. This more than any other thing, may, maybe not even piece of content. 
maybe even things that have happened in my whole life. <laughs> wow. This movie Big. has stuck with me more than anything else. And this is, this is Megan is missing. I doubt either one of you have seen this movie or maybe even ever heard of it. Does that ring any bell to you? I it's, thought you might I, say I Howard the I've Duck. I've heard too. of it somewhere. <laughs> Howard the <laughs> Maybe you've heard me talk about not ever watching it, for God's sake. But uh, this is the most haunting movie I've ever watched. And this one, it's, it's stuck with me for years. It's been probably 12 years since I've seen this. And sometimes it still flashes in my mind. And this one isn't scary because of production value or the acting or really even the effects. Although there is one very haunting scene. And uh, the production value and acting, not the best. So, so far, not a rave review, but it's scary because of what actually happens. Like, it's the worst thing that can happen. And this is, uh, this movie is about the days leading up to the disappearance of a popular North Hollywood high school student, Megan Stewart, after online interactions with a boy in a chat room. And then it follows her friend, Lisa Herman's investigation into the disappearance. Now, this is a, it's a found footage movie, which is usually a big boo, although I have talked about a couple of them on this show that were good. And it's one of the very first computer screen films. So kind of like The Den, which I did talk about on here, which was all the like Den, captures yeah. from a uh, computer screen. Yeah. And it, this movie kind of paved the way for things like The Den. And what's so disturbing is how efficiently Megan is catfished by this guy in the chat room and lured to a, sec a secluded place and then disappeared. Also, you get an in-depth look at what happens to her after being abducted and it is horrifying. In fact, the ending shot is so haunting with the concept of what's happening and the audio design that it, I mean, 12 years. If I even hear the the name Megan or sometimes just the sound M mm, I'm like, oh, <laughs> flashes into my head. Uh <laughs> In fact, for like a week after watching this movie, it would flash into my mind periodically and just like totally blow my mood. It was that brutal. So Michael Goy, who's the director, he insisted that the young actress's parents be on set while they were filming to ensure nothing bad actually happens to them because the, the shooting, what they were filming is so brutal. And he issued a warning to viewers of the film, which said, it sounds kind of like the warning I'm issuing. It said, do not watch this movie in the middle of the night. Do not watch this movie alone. And if you see the words photo number one pop up on your screen, you have about four seconds to shut the movie off if you're already kind of freaking out because you start seeing things that you maybe don't want to see. And I would add something at the end. Also, don't watch this movie at all. Wow. But uh, <laughs> wow. I'm normally normally I'd say that, you know, it's just like sensationalism. But in this case, this whole thing is a good warning. This movie was banned in uh, New Zealand for, in, for being injurious to the public due to extreme sexual violence. And Michael Goy, he actually said that he made the film as a warning to parents about the dangers of the internet. And again, I'd usually say that that kind of claim is bullshit, but he really has a point here. Like this is the kind of thing that actually happens and it's the scariest thing imaginable to a parent. And keep in mind, all of this, the way that this movie affected me was in an era long before I ever had children or ever even wanted to. So this is the scariest piece of content that I've ever consumed. And uh, I kind of wish I hadn't. So it, 
if there's one silver lining to me of having watched Megan is missing is I think it makes a really good uh, capper on this episode of disturbing content that we put together. Josh, I hate to say it, but this happened with, I think, uh, Martyrs. You telling me not to watch it <laughs> is why I watched it. <laughs> oh, so, God, I know how to get you, you buddy. Know, <laughs> you know how to so tap into my this. anti-authoritarian personality. I know I haven't, but I'm going to. Oh, uh, you fucking asshole. Don't do it, Brett. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to watch it even harder now. Oh, yes. <laughs> Bree, hold my eyes open. <laughs> I, found I do a reason. want you to report back. <laughs> I found a reason to m- maybe watch it, but I'm fairly certain this will never happen. I was, you know, I was Googling it as you were talking. And one of the Google suggestions is uh, that Megan is missing Josh. That's the oh, entire yeah, that's a character in there. Yeah. Okay. I was wondering if it was either, you know, probably the main character and the main bad guy, or if like you just spent enough time. <laughs> working on this one the google telling like, people not to watch it <laughs> yeah. but then i found a meme picture with uh keanu reeves as uh i believe it looks like he's probably bill i mean ted from bill and ted with a really keanu reeves woe face the meme is what if josh and megan is missing is nate Oof. That, i don't that? know what that means but uh <laughs> i would prefer if he was named nate and not josh i'll tell you that out of context yeah. memes. Nothing confusing hmm. about that. Um, about <laughs> about uh, this uh, found footage uh, computer screen um, style. I Have you guys seen the 2018 movie Searching? No. That was um, kind of interesting. I thought it was I thought it was a, a better version of the den. And then it did kind of go for like a twist ending and get a little bit hokey, but I, I, Shyamalan esque a little ending. bit, a little bit, but I, I actually really enjoyed the movie. It, it, um, it's, it's very similar to this, uh, obviously less extreme, but I, this is like a really interesting style because we live so much of our lives through our computers or through our phones. And this is exactly how you'd solve a case or search for a missing loved one is, you know, trying to like find them on uh, find my friend app or then, you know, locate their iPhone or even get into their email if you can, if you're really worried about somebody. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting s- style because I thought that the den that was the only time I'd been exposed to something like that. And now I, I'm hearing about it more and more, which is interesting. Yeah. And uh, with that computer screen style, you uh you get to come up with even more contrived reasons why you'd always have your, you're carrying your laptop around and filming yourself. I mean, it's like, yeah, <laughs> that's one of the hallmarks of found footage is like, why would you not put the thing down at this point and run away from the monster? Yeah. So with the, with these style, you just have all these reasons like, why would the, why, why would this computer have captured this moment? And that's uh one of the things when I watch found footage, I'm always on the lookout for it. So, yeah. It's uh, it's part of the fun I think of watching those movies. Well, I have to say, I give us all uh 3, 4, 5, 6, however many thumbs you want up on this episode because five thumbs up. I know I'm going to be terrified um for the whole rest of October and uh I I do want to ask our audience members out there, our listeners, I want to hear some more frightening content. I want you to get on Facebook Get on Instagram, the the content clearing house. 
and let us know what scared you because uh, it's fun to talk about. It's fun to hear from you about uh, what you think is really going to keep you up at night. Very spooky, Brett. That was, I was going to ask you, Brett, do you want to play us out? See if you still got it. And guess what? It sounds like you still got (laughs) it, buddy. All right. So yeah, contact us on Instagram and Facebook. Also, you can email us at contentclearinghouse at gmail.com. And thanks everyone for listening. We love that you guys are tuning in. We are going to keep working hard to bring you the greatest content possible. And of course, as always, like I say, whenever I do the X, the, uh, X fill from the show. We're going to jam it into your ear holes next week. <laughs> <laughs>